Welcome to the Puck and Pigskin Podcast, presented by Belly Up Sports. Just great sports fans talking mostly about hockey and football, sprinkled with a bit of everything else. Now, here's your host, a Flames fan with a Golden Knights backup plan, Jason Bizek. Okay, with me now. Now is uh, Joe Whipred, who is, of course, if you know him around Red Deer, I would say a local celebrity, <laughs> all-around funny guy, uh, entrepreneur, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. Looking forward to talking about hockey and baseball and the business of sport today. Yeah, whatever comes up. So yeah, let's dive right into hockey, shall we? Um, our flames are not looking too good at this point. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, it's a tough year, obviously. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of future news, but three years ago, I said this wasn't the core that was going to get it done. It's easy to say now, but I truly did say that. I don't believe that it's uh, guys like Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan that that are champions, unfortunately. Uh, That was proven throughout many, many playoff uh, attempts, I guess, if you want to call it that, even stretch drives towards the playoffs um, a champion truly does bleed or wear their heart from their on their sleeve and you can see what a champion is from the past you can see um, you know the, in the history of hockey who are true cup contenders or people who get it done in the playoffs and unfortunately save for a couple of back enders maybe a, a captain like Mark Giordano is on the back of this jersey um, you know I certainly hoped he would have got traded and gone to a contender I do believe he's a champion unfortunately uh, hockey, like so many others, is a team sport. And if the uh, team isn't together, then you can't get anything done. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. And uh, I have to say that uh, when we signed Jacob Markstrom, my hopes kind of went up for a moment. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, we've done this before. We've signed many goalies that were great. And they've all turned out to be flops. <laughs> well, and to be fair, I don't know that uh, Markstrom is this in the same category as many goalies. I, too, was extremely excited when we made that move, along with others, uh, acquiring former Vancouver Canucks by the half dozen this past summer. But uh, Markstrom, I think, is one of the best, you know, certainly since Kipper back in the day. And, uh, and early on, he got the job done in the middle. It was a little soft, like an Oreo. And then late in the season, he's he's still getting it done. So I think Markstrom is a difference maker. But like I said before, it's a team sport. And if you don't have uh, a well-rounded and deep defensive core, just for regular season, let alone two or three or four rounds of playoffs, and then, of course, forwards who can score, which is many of their jobs when uh, drafted or acquired that way. And in the flame sense, that's exactly what hasn't happened. So I think there's something broken there. Obviously I'm not about to speculate what happens uh, when we're not seeing them in broadcast television, but in the dressing room, on the buses, on the airplanes, uh, obviously a shakeup is required. And I would imagine tree living will do that this summer. Yeah. You kind of led me right into what my next question was going to be. Do you think there, it's my understanding that, or or my uh, my opinion that something changed in Matthew Kachuk after Jake Muslim flipped him that puck after that one game. However, I also think that he may be injured. What are your what? Do you have any speculation on what may be wrong with Kachuk this year? 
Yeah, for a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve and plays with 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 so much tenacity, you know, when you're on a team and in an environment where that is not, you know, the food or the beverage of choice each night, day in, day out, then I don't know if you can thrive. We have to imagine Matthew Kachuk and and the anyone in the Kachuk family a lot like a Energizer Bunny. Um, they provide energy when battery powered, but that battery is everything from from the way he plays the game, gets in the crowd's face, crowds aren't available, um, fan interaction and engagement. I mean, if you think back to that Battle of Alberta, the one that just blew up and made Matthew Kachuk sort of one of the most hated men in hockey, let alone in the province of Alberta, then you start to realize what feeds his fire is that aggressor role and the instigator role. And that certainly happens on the ice, but it also happens with the fan culture and the media inferno that uh, that happens and through winning. And uh, there hasn't been a lot of winning. There certainly has been no fans and uh, being able to be fed that culture instead of being fed your lunch by your Alberta rival is probably what I believe has extinguished this year, mm -hmm. at least, Matthew yeah. Kachuk. Yeah, and uh, Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monahan just seem to be non-existent this season. I'm not sure what's going on there either, but do uh, you think Johnny wants out of Calgary? I can take any of these players at their word. Uh, you and I and so many pundits can speculate on where people want to be. I think we have a lot of um, we have a lot of false knowledge when it comes to being fans of the game, even media within the game, which I've been privileged to be a part of, players wanna play in the best league in the world and they will play where they are either drafted or acquired. And so to say that Johnny wants out, certainly this year, I'd imagine Johnny would rather play for a contender, but I don't think he wants out. And I don't think any player, save for maybe Eric Lindros back in the early nineties, <laughs> has the right to ever say, I'm not playing there, I'd rather play here. And we've seen it before, certainly. There's some spoiled, rotten millionaires. But no, I don't think Johnny Gaudreau wants out of Calgary or Connor McDavid until this year wants out of Edmonton or Austin Matthews wants out of Toronto. I think these guys are privileged to play. I think they know it. And I think their paychecks speak to that. And so, no, I think that's a lot of fan hoopla about nothing. I think Johnny Gaudreau will play where he's told where he's asked to play. And I think he'll respect the fans that pay his salary. Yeah. Now you mentioned Mark Giordano earlier. Um, it, a lot of talk going around that Mark Giordano is going to be left available and probably picked up by the Seattle Kraken. What do you think of that? Yeah, I imagine uh, I've had that under my radar for, for a while now. I do believe uh, the number five will fly high at the Saddle Dome and whatever the new building is eventually. But uh, it's pretty clear that the salary, the contract term, and the player don't necessarily match. And I think he's absolutely going to be left unprotected. And I believe the Seattle Kraken would be silly not to take him if, if made available. And even furthermore, I'm wondering if he's not the very first captain in Kraken history, but I agree with you. I think uh, Mark Giordano can't be protected based on the young uh, talent that's coming up uh, through the cupboard uh, in the uh, in the ranks of, of the Calgary Flames. There is some depth to the talent in sort of a retooling or rebuilding of that franchise. And Mark Giordano likely will be passing the torch. The C could go to Matthew Kachuk 
and uh, Matt and uh, and Mark Giordano could go to Seattle. And I think that'd be a great pickup by the Kraken. Yeah, I'm certainly excited to see what happens in Seattle, seeing as how the last expansion uh, worked out pretty well, I think. Yeah, and besides, <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. Uh, <laughs> the rules allow it. Uh, you know, I think back to the Minnesota Wild, the, Seattle, the, uh, the San Jose Sharks, the, the Florida Panthers, all the other uh, the, the very difficult builds that some of these franchises had. Very expensive to, to bring a franchise into uh, the National Hockey League or any professional league. Um, but they changed the rules. Uh, and the Vegas Golden Knights were benefactors of that. I mean, you'd be silly not to know that. Uh, the, the ability to, to choose fresh talent right off a roster and build a team that's ready to go, not just within the first five years, which was the prediction of the National Hockey League, but within the inaugural season. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, I don't think it'll be the same for the Seattle Kraken. I think it was an anomaly and an incredibly coached team, although there seems to be a black eye on Gerard Gallant, uh, given that he is yet to find another job behind a bench in the National Hockey League. There are a lot of secrets and shadows in professional sports, and I think we've stumbled across one that'll be don't ask questions and nobody tells, and that's unfortunate. Um, but I do believe they were coached very well. They had a great franchise. It goes without saying that Vegas knows the entertainment and the business side of, of, of all entrepreneurship, and so the team was uh, poised for success from the drop of the puck. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to go see a game there. I was actually heard on uh, the Fan 960 this morning, they were talking about previous expansion teams and the players that got picked. And I think back, they talked about the Florida Panthers. Their best player that they picked was John Van Beesbrook. And after that, it was pretty much nobody. Well, and that's because the rules changed. There wasn't, those yeah. players were, were not available. You weren't allowed uh, the same roster choices. There was more protected players, and I don't exactly know how it was, but I know it wasn't the same. And so yeah. Seattle has, uh, has, has every ability to, to get better uh, immediately. And part of that is a great business decision by the National Hockey League. Obviously, back in the day, I'm old enough to remember when the San Jose Sharks came to town in 91, 92, and mm -hmm. they were awful never mind teal which some say ruined hockey uh they uh the san jose sharks took the ice and they were awful they were just awful and uh, and they were the laughing stock and they were rolled over every time someone came to town uh, but they did build a franchise they did build a fan base and they eventually built an arena at the sap center which i've had the ability to go to it's a wonderful place great fan base really really entertaining game situations um, yet still no championships, much like the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Hey, speaking of arenas, how many arenas, NHL arenas have you been to? I counted it up one year. I think I've been to, uh, 11, um, which is incredible. Uh, and so far, which is your favorite? Uh, my favorite national hockey league arena. Great question. I, I you know, I'm a historic, I, I like history. And so, um, the, the I, I've got I've got I've got my favorite and I've got the best. So my favorite arena I've ever been to was Madison Square Garden for pretty obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's Madison Square Garden, and my and the best arena I've ever been to was the inaugural season and I think game number seven at what was called the Prudential Center, but it's the home of the New Jersey Devils. Oh, uh, that building is magnificent. Uh, marble floors uh, on one side of center ice, uh, uh, horizontally, there's the fire lounge meant to represent hell of the devil. And on the other side, horizontally center ice, there's the ice 
bar. So you have ice, fire, and ice. Wow. You have heaven and hell and all of the seats. All of the seats have leather and and cup wow. holders and are embroidered with the devil's logo and the loge seating. Absolutely magnificent arena. If you ever get the chance, and I don't know why many of your listeners or viewers would, but go <laughs> see a game in New Jersey. It's absolutely incredible. It didn't hurt that we were special guests of the head coach at the time, Brent Sutter. Ah, ah. That makes sense. Now, I do have uh, one friend and listener that would probably love that and has probably been there, and that would be Ryan McCarthy, who's also part of the podcast network here. Um, how do you? How are you liking the divisional play this year? Great question. Uh, you know, the, I like it. Uh, I like playing Canadian teams. Uh, I don't think any true hockey fan can't uh, can't like that. I think one thing that might be shared with a lot of your viewers and listeners though, Jason, is I have accidentally on purpose ignored the rest of the league. And, mm -hmm. and I don't like that. I don't As like, have I. yeah. And I, and I don't like not knowing how the Minnesota wild are doing or how mm -hmm. a certain Canadian prospect who has every right to have our attention from central Alberta or maybe Vancouver Island or somewhere else that your listeners and your viewers we have great Canadian talent, our neighbor, our nephew, our son, it might be playing in the league, but they got stuck in Columbus or Florida or Detroit. And those are wonderful talents to watch. I feel bad for the Colton Seviers of the world who are from Red Deer, Alberta, and who we never see or hear about. And they deserve as much credit for their success and as many viewers from their hometowns as possible. And unfortunately, in a time when we're playing in the North Division only, we focus in on Canadian teams thinking those are Canadian players, but they're not. They are every man's league and unfortunately every man's team. And that means if you get stuck in Dallas or Anaheim, then uh, we never get to see you play. Yeah. Um, I find myself too getting lost in the North Division. And I think that's mainly because the North Division games are the only games that I see on TV. I don't have access to the NHL network and all that kind of fancy stuff. So I don't see any of the American games or I probably would watch the odd game, but yeah, you definitely uh, raise a good point there. Um, so I got to put you on the spot and say cup predictions. Who are you predicting to go to the cup and who's going to win? Well, every year I, I, and I think we all as hockey fans say the same thing. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of go around the same couple of teams every year, and then there's sort of a cycle. A few years ago, it was always Detroit or New Jersey or Dallas, and then fast forward 10 years, and we're always talking about, um, you know, Tampa Bay and Boston and Chicago. I'm going to stay on the Tampa Bay-Boston vein. I think Boston got real, real good real fast with the Taylor Hall acquisition. I think he's finally found a place he's comfortable. He's finally found, for the first time in his career, a winning and earning team. Remember that Taylor Hall has always, almost always, and I mean almost always been on the team that got to win the draft lottery. This year, for the first time ever, he will be able to sit in June or July or August or September or whenever we have a draft lottery and go, ha ha, it's not me. Uh, he's finally found a winning spirit and potentially he's finally found some success. My prediction is the Boston Bruins for the Stanley Cup would not count out Tampa Bay and my dark horse, although not so dark, is the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, you raise a good point there. The Edmonton Oilers are definitely rolling right now, as are my dark horse. Um, my, actually, I'm going to say Colorado Avalanche, 
and Tampa Bay in the Stanley Cup. Oh God, I gotta throw Vegas in there. Like Vegas. Yeah, is... I, I was just gonna say you have to throw Vegas <laughs> in there. You have to. But Vegas, Colorado as a as a Western final is very likely, and I don't yeah. know that Colorado hasn't learned some valuable lessons, mind you. So is Vegas. So you, you're right. You have to throw Vegas in there. Yeah, they're both very offensive. Uh, make probably coming down to goaltending in that battle. But yeah, Edmonton definitely got a shot. You think the Leafs are gonna do anything, or do you think they're falling apart? You know, the easy answer and the, and the answer since 1967 is they're going to fall apart. Um, they're good. Uh, they have some kinks. Uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, somebody in hockey told me, you have to get hot at the right time to make a playoff run. I am concerned that the Leafs are going through some major adversity right now. So they're going to be hot when it comes to playoffs. So, and I say concern because I have said for many, many years, with apologies to any of your listeners or viewers who are Leafs fans, that we are not a better country if the Leafs ever win the Stanley Cup. I believe our kids will hear the anthem in the morning and they'll have to watch the Stanley Cup parade before they start school in the morning if they ever win in our lifetime. And I certainly <laughs> hope the, the Toronto Maple Leafs never do. We are a favorite uh, Toronto Maple Leaf favored society. I mean, look how much the country went crazy during the uh, the Raptors win, the Blue Jays 91-92 back-to-back World Series wins. I think if the Leafs ever win in the internet age, we're all screwed as Canadians. We're going to have to force be force-fed, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs television. So uh, with all of that said, and I'm kidding, of course, to a degree, I'm sure I'm getting tweets already about it. The Toronto Maple Leafs look good, but I do believe there is one thing scientific that you could probably prove. I don't have the stats, but I bet you could prove it. Every team that's gone on to win the Stanley Cup had to go through some playoff adversity first. And I know many of you will say, well, the Leafs have you know, been up, they've been reverse swept, they've gone through their Boston woes and other things. I mean recent. I mean, it looks like you go a couple rounds or one round and then you get real, you, you learn and then you go again. The Tampa Bay Lightning did it. I believe the Oilers are poised to do it. And I just don't think the Leafs have done much for us lately. And so I don't give them a whole lot of chance to go deep yet. But if they're able to keep that core, and I don't know if they will be because there's a lot of money coming down the pipe here in a few years, then I think they'll be damn good um, next year or the year after. Yeah. Um, just so we're clear on the Tampa Bay doing it, they technically only did it once, I think. No. <laughs> yeah, it was in. I mean, it, it was it, in. It was in. I. It was in. You, on the on the flip side of the Toronto Maple Leaf winning the cup, we may never have to listen to the Leafs fan again complaining about the the drought and all this and that we'll always listen to the leaf <laughs> that's 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 what that's a rite of passage if you're a leafs fan the complaints and and they you know frankly they deserve to the, the I, I heard a wonderful stat and i'm sure leaf fans know the only team that doesn't have a colored picture with the stanley cup of those teams who have won it is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Their mm. last Stanley Cup was in black and white. Every other team that's won the Cup has a color photo, and I think that's hilarious and sad. Now, if they do win it, I think it would be very interesting and a great media marketing move if they take a photo in black and white. I agree with you. I think it'd be <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and, I mean, they got those horrible gray, silver, blue jerseys. Their reverse retros this year are horrible. 
and come at me if you go ahead at me on my social medias if you think the the Leafs reverse retro silvers or grays or God they're terrible. Yeah, a lot of those reverse retros are are terrible. I I I do like the Dallas Stars neon jerseys though. What do you think of those? Yeah, I, we're going there, right? I mean, uh, you and I are from the Red Deer area, and I always look at that stuff and I go, yeah, RDC Athletics did that six years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it comes from, right? Someone has to get, uh, someone has to have the guts in marketing and business offices at the league level, and then it has to be approved by the league. But we're there. We are there. I mean, mark my words, and and I said this a few years ago, individualized uh, uh, artwork uh, for players, not just goalie masks, but for players is going to start leaking into the league as soon hmm. as next year. We're going to start already seeing skates that have uh, messages. I mean, the NBA is usually a leader for the NHL. Um, I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying I hate it. All I know is that players have individuality, have no individuality, but goaltenders through the goalie mask and other little elements they can do on their uh, their flat you know, paddles of their stick. They have the ability to have individualism and players have always been omitted from that. So mark my words, individuality is coming for players in the league, only to the uh, dismay of guys like Alexander Ovechkin, who would have loved that 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we've already seen a little hint of it with Austin Matthews. He's got the custom skates and sticks with the Toronto skyline on him, I believe. And so, yeah, that's definitely coming. Um, speaking of Toronto, and you mentioned the Blue Jays earlier, let's switch gears to baseball. Now, I personally... Yeah, you got the baseball there. I, I, some days I wonder if you're a bigger baseball fan or hockey fan. What, what is it? Uh, so I love the game of baseball. I grew up playing ball, uh, and then obviously when I had uh, older kids, I, I played some baseball. Um, there's my, uh, there's my Braves jersey and my Baseball Canada hat. Um, very, very privileged to be able to coach uh, in the game where you learn a whole bunch more. I understand the average fans take on Major League Baseball, the boredom, the slowness. Um, but when you play the game and when you coach the game, you realize just how cerebral the game is. And I, uh, if, you've, if you've known me for a long time, Jason, which you have, I'm a cerebral person. I'm a thinker. I love mm -hmm. movies that make me think, books that make me think. Uh, I, I love riddles. Um, in the humor or performance category. I love a good stage play or theatrical performance. And I love baseball because it's hard. And I don't mean it's difficult. Everyone knows you hit the ball, three strikes, you're out and the basic rules. But there are so many different rules within baseball, some that come up at the major league level where umpires have to come together and go, what's the rule on this if it happens with here? And, if the, and, and there, I love cerebral sports as much as I love cerebral anything. And so baseball is a really, really thinking game. And so for those viewers that are like, I don't really like baseball that much, no offense, but that means you don't have time to think the game because if you played mm -hmm. the game and coached the game and watched the game, thinking about the different um, uh, pitches that need to be thrown in a four or five pitch sequence because you have a hitter who hits from the left side who is whose slugging percentage is such and such and so on. All of that actually means something in the game of baseball. And if you take any other sport, you cannot find the same level of statistics, uh, player prowess and skill 
and then uh, delivery of, of more statistics. So I'm not even a stats guy. I don't necessarily like the back of baseball or hockey cards. All I know is it's a very difficult game when you consider a 98 mile per hour fastball is coming in and a hitter only has a split second to make a decision left, right, or center. Mm -hmm. And then we see uh, the abilities. So yeah, I love baseball. Absolutely love the game. And that's notwithstanding my love for all of the other sports and specifically the business or the marketing within them. Yeah. Now, just so we're clear, I don't hate baseball. I played baseball in high school. I played uh, softball. I've, I've played the game, and I definitely love playing the game more than I love watching it. I think it all comes down to, for one, the games are typically in the afternoons, <laughs> so I never get to see a game. <laughs> and they're long. I was a fan. <laughs> I mean, and they're long and then the league's doing something about that. They're trying to speed up the game. I, I, uh, by the way, I, yeah. I'm a purist, I'm a traditionalist, but I'm all for that. They have to speed up and make the games more exciting while still remaining integral to the rules of baseball. But yeah, they have some problems because like in anything marketing, if you're doing this and everyone else is doing this, then you have to either come up to that level or be really, really good at what you do. And in live sports and television entertainment that costs millions, if not billions of dollars, you better be exciting to watch. And right now they're missing. Yeah. So are, that being said, are you a big fan of the changes that they've made this season and trying to speed up the game? Um, yeah, a, a little bit. I, I have no issue with change. I am a traditionalist. I believe you need to tuck in your sweater, wear a belt that matches your uniform, uh, never have slouched socks, uh, make sure that you uh, you treat the umpire with respect because you will get less strike calls or more depending on whether you're offense or defense. You do have to play the etiquettes of the game if you want the baseball gods to obey and traditional values need to be kept within the game. However, we are changing. It's not 1910, it's not even 1977. And so we have to change these games to meet the needs of who's consuming them and how we're consuming them. And if we're consuming games on our social channels, on digital mediums, and on subscribed video for television, which won't even be a real word in a few, we watch it on a television, but we don't even subscribe to television. Instead, we're on video streams and digital mm -hmm. channels. Then we have to change the game to match those frequencies. And we have to change the uniforms, the players, and the things on those televisions as well. I just wish we'd get away from the privilege. I wish we'd we'd reallow people to purchase a jersey that doesn't cost $283 because you have your favorite name on the back. We have done a disservice to true fans by making everything out of reach. And that doesn't just go for sports, that goes for general society. Yeah, it'd definitely be nice to not pay $14 for a beer at an Oilers game. <laughs> and I've never understood that. And I'm glad you brought that up. I, you know, and it's, and it's anywhere, by the way. I mean, you can go to yeah. a Washington Sabres game. You could go to a Florida Panthers game. You could go to a, a junior game in the States and the USHL. You're still going to play pay because of the venue and the ownership and the money that yeah. it costs. And I'm glad you brought that up. I've never understood the mathematics. I truly have known Oilers fans in, in your circumstance who have gone and only had a couple of beers, taken an Uber or taxi home or, or had a designated driver because the cost was so excessive. And I know for a fact they would have bought five or seven beers if it was lower. And every time I do the math, I come up with more money and more product sold for less 
value or dollar at the till every single time. And I'm not an economics major. All I know is if they made it lower for a hot dog, for a beer, for a, a, you know even a, an ice cream inside an upside down baseball helmet at your favorite minor league baseball team, you'd sell more of it, you'd make more happier fans and you'd create more fans of the game. Yeah, definitely. So uh, speaking of big spending and going back to the Blue Jays, George Springer, uh, rumors surrounding him returning soon, but they don't know when. How excited are you to watch him? I, I, I'm always, I, there's always so much hype with newcomers. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I just actually read an article today about, uh, you know, newcomers in the game, Jack Johnson and Dion Phaneuf. And, um, you know, Dion has roots in Red Deer with the Rebels and other things. But, you know, that article was written back in the early 2000s or the mid 2000s, right? When Dion and Jack Johnson were coming to the league, you know, were they great players? Certainly at the junior level, you could argue they were average national hockey leaguers. So uh, when it comes to Springer or any young buck that's coming into the system, I really truly don't get all hyped up about it because they're humans. Life happens, uh, families happen or don't happen in many cases. Uh, and once you start maturing, as you know, Jason, any adult changes, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, some of these professionals at junior or young ranks turn into other people as adults. I know I did. I'm sure you did. And so mm -hmm. I never got to play professional ranks, but I know I was a heck of a ball player and I'm not anymore. And so maybe that does happen at the major league level too. Yeah. So uh, me being the guy that doesn't really pay attention to baseball and you, the guy who does, how are the Jays doing so far? Uh, I, you know, and, and first of all, let me preface this by saying I pay attention, but in a pandemic, there's so much other stuff to pay <laughs> attention to, namely life and mental health that, I, you know, by saying I pay attention is doing a disservice to those who actually follow them on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm a baseball fan, but I would much rather go shag some flies with my kids or mm -hmm. go play catch with my brother than, uh, you know, tune into a four hour baseball game anymore. I'm yeah. 45 years old. I love the game, but I'll be honest. I'm not following them day to day. At the same time, I love turning on the radio, doing yard work and listening to a Jays game. And all yeah. I know is each time I hear them, they either win or they lose. And that's about their, their record. As we talked today, I believe they're just below 500, maybe at 500. And so um, there's all kinds of promise. What I do know about the Jays is they're exciting again. I do know that uh, Bo Bichette, obviously uh, Vlad Jr., um, and some others on the roster have some hot bats again. And it does, mm -hmm. for the very first time, remind me of sort of my youth when it was the Alomars and Carters and Olroods of the world. It does yeah. look and feel similar. I just don't know if you can re recreate that early 90s magic. Yeah. No, you're you're like me with the Flames. I'm a Flames fan. But I always tell people I'm not a Flames follower. I don't follow everything. I don't know stats. I don't know contracts. Me I'm too. A the, I'm a fan of the game. Yeah, me too, Jason. I, I, and I appreciate that because, you know, you, like me, run into sports fans. In fact, you'll have some listeners right now who could tell us the depth on the fourth string defense for the New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Eh, it doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. And I'm glad it does for a lot of people. I'm not, as I said in my baseball analogy earlier, I'm not a stats guy. What I, I was talking about what I like about baseball because those stats matter in the game and hockey's the same. 
I like my flames. I enjoy watching the team. I know what I see that's wrong, but I'm not Daryl Sutter. I can't coach that team. And he's a much better coach than I am. <laughs> I certainly hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. So uh, let's uh, take a look at some photos here that I've uh, pulled up of you. And you have no idea which ones I've taken. So <laughs> this could no, be very interesting. So first we're going to start uh, here. Oh, wow. Look at him. And uh, just kind of give us an idea. For those who don't know you, Joe is very heavily into uh, media and uh, has been broadcasting and game day host for the Rebels and all, all sorts of stuff. Tell me about this photo and tell me where you got your start in media. Yeah, sure. So this is obviously, as it says at the bottom, this is May 19th, 1996. This is my very first year in radio. I was at uh, Country 840 CJXX in Grand Prairie, Alberta. That's the Grand Prairie skyline. <laughs> Looks an awful lot like most central Alberta towns out that window. You'll notice also this is an analog studio. If you don't know what that means, just have a look at the equipment. We used, to, we, used to, we used to splice tapes and use what are called carts. Those are on the left-hand top side, uh, a lot like eight tracks. That was all of our commercial content and splitters and other things. We did have CDs. There's a CD player right by the microphone there. That's a real young guy right there. That's a 18, I think he's an 18-year-old, fresh out of SATE in Calgary fresh out of the broadcasting school and with his very first radio show. And while that sounds sexy and nice, understand that I also had, uh, I was starting to raise a young family, had uh, a couple babies up in Grand Prairie, my third here in, in Red Deer. And uh, this was a wonderful start for me. You have a lot to learn, not just equipment and how to talk on the radio. Yeah, there they are. But you have yeah, to also... Are. You have to also learn how to become a local celebrity like you. Uh, like, And I, I don't mean that in any egotistical way. There is a lot... To, there's a lot of roles to play when you're a well-known personality who has a radio show in a community. That's my kids there. Uh, they were younger. In fact, that uh, previous picture was from the, uh, it was Canada versus Canada at the Saddle Dome. You can notice a Team Canada logo. That's the Saddle Dome. That was actually the Olympic um, tryouts. So on the ice, you can't see them, but on the ice, I mean, number 12 is either Jerome or Eric Stahl right in behind my daughter there uh, because there was two number 12s. That's Canada versus Canada. It was the red and white game as we prepared to go to the 2010 Olympics, uh, which we eventually, spoiler alert, we won. <laughs> Uh, and we, that's my, that's me and my young, young family uh, in 2009, because the Olympics were in January of 2010. That was the summer, August 26, 2009, watching the greatest hockey athletes I have ever been in the arena to watch. They're all there. I won't go down the roster, but Jason, you can only imagine what the red and white game, they were going to cut half that team and mm -hmm. they were still great. It was incredible. Yeah. 2010. That was a hell of a team actually. And then this is them, same kids, a little bit older, a lot more facial hair. Uh, that's Morgan Cannon and Keaton, the pride and joy of, of uh, everything I do. And we were, uh, this was right at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. And, and dad not looking crazy at all with holding that ax. Yeah, there was no, there was no cool way to take this picture. I remember when they handed <laughs> me the ax, uh, it was like, there's, there's no way we can take this safely. So let's just take it. But yeah, I was obviously the winner of the ax throwing, which surprised me, but I told them, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> you were the winner of the axe throwing. It seems to me when I took this from your Twitter or wherever it was, didn't you say that uh, 
I, I thought you said someone else won. No, you only get to hold that. Morgan, I thought you said one. <laughs> no, it was me and her in the final, actually, much oh. to the chagrin. No, if you, you you get to sit in the chair and hold the axe if you win. So that was, uh, <laughs> I did win, but we went to overtime. Uh, it was real close. This is obviously my better half. This is Joe. Uh, for those of you in the area that know Joe social media, the J, the O, and the brackets around the E. Well, the reason there's brackets around the E is because I'm the J-O-E, and this is the J-O. Uh, this is taken on a beautiful uh, late summer night at Gull Lake uh, near Lacombe, Alberta, where I live. And uh, yeah, uh, Joe's just uh, just an incredible human, someone I'm so glad and fortunate to have met both in my personal life and professional life. And this is very, yeah, go ahead. Here's uh, the Mr. Professional right here. Yeah, this was a, a tweet back to someone who said, hey, Joe, you should run for mayor. And I was like, Wow, that uh, that's an <laughs> honor. I appreciate that. Uh, and and the you know the rainbow heart in behind is because I stand for inclusivity and and uh, marginalized voices and want to be a voice. I I don't want to run and and spoiler alert, I'm not going to run for council or mayor right away. But certainly has been on my radar. I want you to look closely at the pocket square though, Jason. I I was actually going to make note of that pocket square. Yeah, That's I wear pocket squares all the time. And if you zoom in, you can see it's that. It's a that COVID a, mask. <laughs> it is a COVID mask. Yeah, all of my pocket squares, if you ever get a chance to see me on stage again, uh, hopefully uh, times after COVID, every time you see me with a pocket square, every single time, whether it's online or in person, there's a story to my pocket square, always. And so maybe... Uh, next time you see me, you can go, oh, what's your pocket square? Sometimes it's a Barbie dress from my, uh, my kid, my uh, daughter's youth, or maybe a dance costume or, uh, you know, all kinds of different uh, pocket squares. Here I am uh, hard at work online uh, in the time of COVID, just like you, Jason, and so many others, we've had to go online. And so the ring light and the microphone, which I love, uh, have been a part. That's me in my office on some random day doing some random Zoom. Yeah, this this picture actually caught my eye right away, and I really like this picture actually. Oh, I appreciate that. Maybe it's time to repost that. That's a yeah. I, I it seemed to frame nicely. I was uh, truly on a call, um, and I always uh, document. Uh, you know, I, obviously, if you follow me on social, you know I document my career. I document my many jobs and the hats I wear. And so uh, that was me documenting just a Zoom meeting. But like you say, you like the picture and so it stands out. And then what happens on social media and part of what I teach in personal branding and, and online behaviors is when you see what we do, when we get a chance to actually experience through visuals what you do, then we're more likely to engage, uh, interact, tune in, and in business sense, purchase from you. And so as long as people know what you do and see what you do, then they're more likely to engage with what you do. Uh, that's an excellent segue because I was now going to jump into what you do. What do you do? Explain oh, to the folks uh, Joe Social Media and, and the Joe uh, Joe Youth Creative. Yeah, so Joe Social Media was created in 2012, a uh, long, long time ago in social media years. Uh, there's lots of social media experts out there, ninjas, rock stars, uh, people who <laughs> will be your Instagram influencer. That's not who we are. We were the very first here in Alberta, let alone central Alberta and potentially Western Canada to create a digital agency. We knew because we were seeing it happen that traditional media was starting to fall and now we're seeing it everywhere, right? You look around at professional uh, on-air personalities who are taken to YouTube or Twitch. Podcasts are everywhere and radio shows, unfortunately, and I see absolutely no, I don't relish it at all because I used to be on the radio, um, but they're drying up as people realize, wait, 
you'll tune into my four hour show commercial free on a podcasting element and I get paid for the clicks. And so we were seeing in 2012, way back then, before Instagram, before Snapchat, before many of the social channels started to monetize themselves, we were seeing businesses start to use their voice online. And so Joe Social Media was born as a agency, a place where you could ask questions and book advice when it came to Facebook advertising and then eventually Instagram and Twitter and other things. And when you think about it, it hasn't changed all that much. We still have 55 year old entrepreneurs and business owners who own tire shops or optical stores or who are chiropractors and they're good at what they do. They're good at changing tires, putting on glasses or, or whatever it is else that they do. Agriculture and industry runs because of great entrepreneurs in their 40s, 50s and 60s. Guess what they're not good at? Guess what they have no clue about? Hmm. Social media. And so our business was forged in 2012 with a site, a head-on direct site for the older demographic of privileged entrepreneurs who are really good at what they do and really terrible at digital. Then uh, two years ago, we created the Joe Youth Creative. The Joe Youth Creative is the very first of its kind, uh, safe place safe, inclusive space for kids and their parents and their grandparents to learn about social media, about personal branding online, about why it's important to have a positive digital footprint starting now, about why you need to document your young life, your volunteerism, your awards and your career only to create better opportunity for you now. We're meeting teenagers who have podcasts or YouTube or Twitch streams and make thousands and thousands of dollars a month. We met one kid who makes six figures a year in grade 10. Wow. And absolutely true. Right here in central Alberta, there's many like him and Instagram influencers. Jason, we're going to see for the very first time and everyone will shake their head. We're going to see for the very first time, teenage girls at 18, 19, teenage boys, 19 and 20, who are going to walk into an automobile dealership and purchase their first automobile using their Instagram clout. We will see it. They will, they will try and buy a $27,000 vehicle. The salesman will say it's $27,000, please. And they'll say, well, if I do 16 stories, in the, per month or eight story in five Snapchats and 16 Instagram posts. If I do that, it's worth 5,000 or $5,500 to you and your dealership. So you can actually take $5,500 off the price of my car, please. We are going to see that. We are already seeing that. And influencing gets a bad name because we think of the Kardashians twirling their hair and chewing bubble gum and making millions. That's not what this is. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that social channels have clout. <clears throat> In fact, this podcast is 20 years ago, a radio show. You'd have to pause three times by now to fill four minutes worth of commercial time. Like that mm -hmm. young buck in Grand Prairie at CJXX. You haven't had to do that. And your listeners are still hopefully intently listening, hopefully enjoying the programming, and hopefully will subscribe to your other channels and maybe even toss you some bucks on Patreon. Yeah. Um, so the Joe Youth Creative, I believe I saw the new building you guys moved into. You actually have a podcast studio in on site. What else do you got going on there in the office for kids to enjoy and try out? Well, in a time of COVID, nothing. We've nothing now, yes. Yeah, we've closed the doors. You're not allowed in, and it's so unfortunate. But yeah, in non-times of COVID, we've got a YouTube and TikTok studio. We have a, uh, we have a podcasting studio. We essentially have the gear 
uh, that'll allow kids to become the editors they want to be. Uh, most kids already have the gear. We do live in a privileged society where all you do need is Wi-Fi, the internet, and a decent computer or smart device. So a lot of kids have that. What we give, besides the equipment, is the know-how on how to build a channel. What most kids, 12 to 18 years old, who want to be YouTubers think that profession is, is performing. Because when you're immature, when you're a child, you believe all that goes into singing a song on stage or playing hockey in the NHL is simply going to the ODR, sniping some pucks, or practicing singing in the shower. What we know as entrepreneurs, as we develop our careers, what we know as mature adults is so much more goes into success in business, in entrepreneurship. And so we're helping kids understand the back end of business, how to become an entrepreneur, how to properly set up other channels so you can promote your YouTube or your Twitch stream. You have zero success on YouTube, zero, none, unless one of two things happens. One, you go viral accidentally and everyone sees your video and you're famous, but even then you need another video next week because YouTube will only give you more views and algorithmic advantage if you're successful week after week after week. That's the trade-off to contract. And the second way you can become successful, like every other business, is use other channels to promote your channel. If you have a wonderful YouTube or podcast or Twitch or Instagram, you use other channels to send people there. It's no different than hundreds of years ago if the blacksmith just shouted every day on his front porch, I'm a blacksmith, come get your shoes horseshoed here. He would only have this much success. But if he uses the newspaper and posters at the saloon and he goes to parent teacher night at the local school and he tells people by hobnobbing and shaking hands that he's the blacksmith, how much more advertising is he going to give to his blacksmith shop? You can't be a single platform, one trick pony. You need the other channels. And so we help entrepreneurs in our day-to-day -day life understand that, learn that and social presence. But most importantly, we're helping kids who are 12, 13, 14 years old and who wanna be a YouTuber, learn that the business of YouTube is what's truly essential to becoming successful there. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like uh, you got a great thing going there with uh, Joe and Joe and the gang. And uh, why don't you just uh, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and Joe social media. And I'm gonna post them all in the link below or in the description below, but tell everybody where we can find you. Well, certainly there's my handle on the screen right now. I'm at Joe Whitbread everywhere. Notice there is no first E that is not white bread. Like you're so used to tasting or <laughs> toasting. That's a Whitbread. So Joe Whitbread is my handle on all the platforms. Thanks for all your posts, your tweets and your comments. Um, and then of course, Joe social media is Joe, J-O-E, no brackets, social media on Twitter and TikTok and LinkedIn. And we're Joe social media Inc. You have to add the I-N-C on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can also find us on uh, on YouTube for the Joe Youth Creative, and we have some channels for the Youth Creative as well. If you've got a youngster who's really interested, they, they're incessantly asking you, mom, dad, I wanna be a YouTuber. Or maybe you, as a young person listening to this broadcast, you have, like Jason, a podcast or a Twitch stream, and you're really, really trying to break out, and you really wanna find your niche, then by all means, message me. I'll show you some of the things you need to do that are required to become successful at Joe Social Media. Sounds great. Well, thanks for joining me on the show, Joe. And uh, I'm, I'll have you on again, I'm sure, to chat more sports. Uh, and uh, yeah. 
Thanks a lot. Yeah, you're very welcome, Jason. And thanks to all your listeners. Have a wonderful day, night, evening, middle of the night, or whenever it is you're watching or listening. Yeah, whenever and wherever you're seeing or hearing this. <laughs> thanks, Joe. You bet. Good night.